you been for the last six years on teaching in this church? Not six years, that hasn't been six years. But it's been about four months, right? Four and a half, five months, maybe longer, right? That we've been teaching on the Holy Spirit and His gifts. Can you say amen? Well, guess where we're at? Anybody know? Yeah. Interpretation to tongues. Well, now, look, if you can't, if you can read, you know where we're at, right? How many of you need a copy of the notes here? Just wanted to tell you guys again, all of you, that I love you very much. Appreciate you being here. So you can start that button, Nathan. Thank you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to begin reading to verse 7. This is pretty common for us to do this in our teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one in the self or the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I want to keep reading 12 through 14. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. Isn't that powerful? That is powerful. Uh, what we've endeavored to do is to put together a series of questions and give you the answers to them. And you get to take them home. You get to keep them, you know. Somebody here tonight, we're going to just do a little quiz here. Just a little quiz. Don't, don't feel intimidated. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the word of knowledge? You're familiar with the word of wisdom. What's the difference between the two? Anybody want to venture an answer? Go ahead, Connie. You got it. Now I know you do. Well, that's a nice try, Connie. <laughs> It really, really, give her a big hand, everybody. That was a nice try. Thank you, Connie. Thank you. Okay, a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom, what they have in common is that God gives us a little piece of his knowledge, a word. It isn't an essay. It's not a book. It's not a novel. It's not his entire library of knowledge. God doesn't dump it. He gives us a piece, a word of knowledge, right? And a word of wisdom, similar to a word of knowledge, is a little bit of knowledge, uh, and here's the difference between the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Sure, somebody don't want to 
want to say what the difference is between the two? One of them has to do with the future. Which one do you think that would be? Wisdom. Why? Because here's what, what did we determine? And we've got to be careful with this because what we did was we divided the gifts up when we know for sure that many of the gifts work together and overlap, don't they? But we separated them and gave definitions to them so we could better define uh, and know what we're seeing unfold in front of us, right? So a little piece of the knowledge of God uh, about the present or the past that other people didn't know, and God drops that in your heart, that's a word of knowledge. If it has to do with something coming in the future, it's a word of wisdom. So what do we know? In the Old Testament, we didn't have the teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, but we had prophets walking in the office of the prophet, and we knew they were prophets because the gifts of the Spirit of God moved through them. And they spoke a great deal about the future, right? So it just modifies and shifts a little bit in the New Testament. If, what have we learned about prophecy in the New Testament? It's just, it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's equal to tongues and interpretation, which edifies people, lifts people up. But you don't find anywhere in the New Testament when it comes to this simple gift of prophecy in the New Testament, uh, in 1 Corinthians, that has anything to do with the future. All right? But it's a, a word of wisdom. All right? And, and God does that. You know, um, in the New Testament, we had examples of Agabus. Agabus prophesied about God gave a warning to the church through Agabus that a drought was coming, a famine was coming, and they needed to prepare for it, and they prepared for it, right? Other churches in the areas that weren't going to be a part of the famine started taking up offerings of money, food, supplies, and sent it to the churches that were going to be suffering through the famine because of the word of wisdom given by the prophet Agabus. It calls him a prophet, right? But it had to do with the future. It was a word of knowledge from God. God knew the famine was coming. Nobody else knew. God knew. Does that make sense to you? Okay, good, good, good. All right, all right. We want to we wanna talk about, I'm having wire problems here a little bit. That wire's not supposed to be there. Hold, hold on a second. Okay, we're good. All right, uh, number one, define interpretation of tongues. The supernatural showing forth by the Spirit. The meaning of an utterance in an unknown tongue. Once again, I've told you this story many times. Only a handful of you ever raised your hand and said, I've seen this before. But the first Pentecostal church service that was ever in, someone stood up and started talking in tongues. I was in the balcony. They were down to my left facing the platform. They stood up, raised their hands to heaven, started, started talking in tongues, right? But I knew in my spirit. I knew inside, wow, this is something powerful, right? And then they trailed off, they sat down, someone else stood up over here, raised their hands to heaven and started talking in English. And, and you just knew this person over here was saying uh, in, an un, in a known tongue, in a language you could understand what that person just got through saying in tongues. Why? Because, you know, a hush fell on the place until the talking stopped. And then when the talking stopped, the, the interpretation stopped, the place, all hands went up. People started shouting, praising God. My wife was not in that service because she was in children's church. I didn't even know her yet. She was in children's church. And I didn't see her for the first time until I came to get my little sister, Kimberly, out of children's church, and I saw Ruthie. Just a side note. No extra charge for that, right? Okay, so um, 
we had the tongues, we had the interpretation, and every one of us in the building knew it was God. Now, I'm, sadly enough, I'm going to tell you, I've been in services where people stood up and did something, and somebody stood up and said something, and it wasn't the Holy Ghost. There's something about the Holy Ghost that's just very, the presence of the Holy Spirit is unmistakable. Does that make sense? The presence of the Holy Spirit is unmistakable. Number two, why is the gift of interpretation of tongues the least of all the gifts? Because it's not a standalone gift. Standalone gift. It depends upon another gift. Diverse kinds of tongues to operate. Got to have tongues. And, and you know, you would think of it. Later on, I'm going to ask you a question about, uh, I'll wait and, and do that. But have you ever thought before that, that, wow, I could be sitting there and maybe God would begin to urge me to, to begin to speak in tongues? And uh, you don't know whether there's an interpreter there or not. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, do you really know there's an interpreter? But here's what I want you to go on. If that ever happens to you, trust that if you sense that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and wants you to give a message in tongues, just give the message in tongues. That's your responsibility, to obey God, right? And the person that's supposed to interpret it uh, it's their responsibility to do that. And you know what I'm saying? You don't always know ahead of time that there's an interpreter present. Number three, what is the purpose of the gift of interpretation of tongues? To cause the gift of tongues to be understood by the hearers so that the whole church congregation, including the one who gave the message in an unknown tongue, to know what has been said and may be edified and uplifted. Well, where do you get that from, Brother Dennis? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. You ought to pay attention to that. Paul said that to the whole church. He wants us all to speak in tongues. Once again, do you, do you feel backed in a corner over that? Trust me, Paul's not going to show up your place tonight and badmouth you because if you don't speak in tongues or pray in tongues. Paul's not going to do that. You don't find anywhere in the Bible where it's an absolute requirement. Are you hearing me? I'm tired of the devil getting away with Christians' lives by condemning them for not doing certain things like that when Jesus himself will not condemn you for it. You understand what I'm saying? But I do know that everyone can. Everyone has the potential. Paul said, now I want, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. That's Scripture. Why is prophecy better? Because that's one person rising to their feet, giving a message in a language that we can all understand, and it edifies and lifts us up. That is uniquely Pentecostal. Did you know that? It's uniquely Pentecostal, right? Number four, why does it take more faith to operate in the gift of prophecy than tongues or interpretation of tongues? With the gift of prophecy, all of the responsibility for stepping out in this gift rests on one person, right? With tongues and interpretation, you have another person to share the responsibility with, right? But I've seen, I've seen people stand up before and give a message in tongues, and no one stood and interpreted. Somebody missed something somewhere, right? Is it something that we should all just get angry about and go home? Gather all our marbles up and go home. Once in a while, you, it's going to, you know, something, somebody's going to miss something. All right? There's not anything to fall apart over. Amen? 
Number five, why isn't it necessary that everything you pray in tongues be clear to your understanding? We look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. This means that when I'm praying in tongues in my private prayer life, I'm talking to God. And guess what God does not need? God doesn't need an interpreter. Now, I want to tell you something from personal experience. And, you know, I, I had access to some wonderful pastors that were twice my age. And some of them were three times my age when I started studying this subject. And I'll never forget that one, one of the pastors talked about and testified about. He said, look, I'm, I'm going, I'm, you asked about the Holy Ghost. I'm trying to teach you about the Holy Ghost. So don't be, don't be admiring me for what I'm about to say to you. He said, but I'll go, in, in the, I'll go to the altar at the church. or I'll go in my prayer closet at home. He said, I'll pray in the spirit for a couple of hours a day. That's praying in an unknown tongue for two hours a day. How many of you ever tried to get on an elliptical trainer and couldn't do more than five minutes, much less pray in tongues for two hours, you know? And he said, I, I was much younger when the first time this ever happened to me. He said, but I'm praying in tongues in my, in my prayer closet, and I'd been praying for about two hours. He said, you know, you can get caught up in that. And all of a sudden, I realized I was no longer praying in tongues, but I was praying in English. And God was interpreting the tongues I had been praying previously. And in that prayer, God told me who my wife was going to be and that we're, you know, we're going to get married. We're going to have two children. The first one was going to be a boy. The second one was going to be a girl. He said, I'm just praying this stuff. I'm just praying this stuff. He said, I knew the girl. I knew the girl the Holy Ghost was talking about. He said, we've been uh, uh, on a couple of outings together, you know. He said, later we, we got married, and I told her about my encounter with the Holy Spirit when it came to her being a part of my life. And so he didn't say another word about it until she told him one day, she said, we're pregnant, we're going to have a baby. He said, it's going to be a boy, and, and he told her what the name of the boy was going to be. Now, you do that one time, that's pretty good, right? But later when she got pregnant a second time, uh, she told him, I'm, I'm pregnant again. He said, this one's going to be a girl, and this is her name, and she was a girl, and that's exactly what they named her, what the Holy Ghost had told him in the interpretation of tongues. Now, why am I telling you this story? You know, I, I, I just know this. There's been a lot of division over the years, and, and me growing up in the body of Christ about tongues, period. There is a separation, in a way, from tongues and interpretation, the public ministry of tongues and interpretation in the church, right? And then there's this private prayer life we have, where a prayer language that the Holy Ghost will give you, uh, that you can pray, and, um, but you can't over-separate the two. What I mean by that is, is there anything wrong with praying in the Spirit and asking God, Lord, is there any of this you want to interpret for me? When you go to the Bible and you see that, that you, it says, let the one that speaks in tongues uh, pray to interpret. It didn't say whether it was public ministry or private prayer life. We can learn a lot from God by asking him to help us 
uh, to interpret our prayer language. Anybody here ever had that experience before? Yeah. So it's no brag, just fact. No brag, just fact, right? So, um, okay, uh, verse five, or number five again. Why isn't it necessary that every, everything you pray in tongues be clear to your understanding? Uh, it, once again, 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. This means that when I'm praying in tongues in my private prayer life, I'm talking to God and he doesn't need an interpreter. Number six, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27. How many people did Paul say should participate in ministering in public, in public in tongues and interpretation in any one service? Anybody know? Two, no more than three, right? Thank you. Appreciate that. It's nice to know some people are familiar with this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn, and let someone interpret. The, I, I like the Amplified Version, I think the NIV, and maybe in the, in the King James Version. The implication is, and let one interpret. Many, many versions of the Bible says, let one interpret. But you know what? If, if, if we have three people in a row that stand up and give message in tongues, and, 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 you know, one or two interpret it. I don't get hung up on that except to say this. How many of you know that if you do it right according to the word, you have one interpretation and you have no contradictions? You do not run the risk of having more than one type of interpretation of what has been said. How many of you know there's wisdom in that? There's just wisdom in that. And I'm going, to get, I'm going to say more about that here shortly. Something very important about this. All right. Um, number seven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 13, what did Paul say was the reason a person is to seek the gift of interpretation? Um, in 14, 13, it says, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So I was quoting the Word of God earlier, right? Evidently and apparently. I like that phrase. Uh, that doubles up, right? Evidently and apparently, there are times when God wants us to know what we are praying. Even when we're praying mysteries in the Spirit, in, the spirit, in tongues, right? Because the Word of God says it really, really plainly, right? Again, in 1 Corinthians 14, 27, when Paul said, let one interpret, what was he doing? I've already answered that. If one person interprets, it greatly reduces the risk of competing interpretations. Number nine, when someone speaks at length in tongues, why does an interpreter occasionally give only a short message? Anybody ever seen that? I've seen that. I've seen it. I've seen someone stand up and go on and on about, uh, in tongues about something, and, and an interpreter stood up and gave a very short and brief message, but we knew it was the Holy Ghost. But what just happened? Notice it calls it an interpretation, not a translation. It's not a word-for-word -word translation. It's an interpretation. And the interpretation of what has been said in the Spirit may be carried out briefly. All right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Right? All right. 
All right, number 10. What is the one way to judge whether the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues is by the Holy Spirit or not? By being in tune with the Holy Spirit. You know? I mean, that's not even a brain teaser, right? One way to know, and probably the best way to know, is to come to church tuned up. You understand what I'm saying? Having spent time with the Holy Ghost. Amen? Um, I will tell you the gospel truth. I've come to church before where I should have been rested up and prayed up. Are you hearing me? I'm just being honest with you. And I couldn't get in the flow of things because I had not set time aside for rest and communion with the Holy Ghost before I got to church. God forgive me. Uh, but I'm a pastor that will stand here and tell you the truth. Amen? All right, now, you know, this is not, we're not going to be here a long, long time tonight because the teaching on interpretations of, of tongues, interpretation of tongues, is, is really probably the briefest lesson that we're going to get. But I wanted to ask you a, a question tonight. How many verses did we quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tonight? A lot. You ain't, you're not going. You ain't going to remember how many. It was a lot, right? Every time I turned around, I said, "Look at First Corinthians 14, such and such." It just dawned on me today that you flip over to First Corinthians chapter 14, and and in big bold black letters above verse one, the title of this chapter is prophecy and tongues. Listen to me carefully now, because this is important. You know, I love those power gifts. I love them. The power gifts, right? I just love them. I've told you the story. I tried to lay hands on that one lady, and I never even, I, I just wanted to touch her right there. That's all I wanted to do, and pray for her. And my hand never got to her arm. Bam, a bolt of lightning. The power of God, like a bolt of lightning, struck between my hand and her, her shoulder there, and I never got to touch her, right? She's crippled from the neck down. She shot straight up in the air, landed on her feet, and went to dancing. I'll never, I was in my 20s, and I will never forget it as long as I live, right? Never forget it. And since then, I've seen a lot of miracles. Not, not by my hand. That wasn't by my hand, was it? Have you ever heard me say uh, that it was by my hand? It wasn't by my hand, right? God, boom, right? And just, and healed her. Dynamic, dynamic, right? I love those gifts. But you will never find any chapters of the Bible where whole chapters were dedicated to a, a section of the gifts. Except the utterance gifts. And you're looking at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So don't tell me this isn't important. Don't tell me the church can live without it. I mean, you know, we, we can, you know what I'm saying? I, 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 don't, I don't know, uh, I, I guess some of the things that Pentecostal churches have done in the past because they were uninformed have given Pentecostalism a stigma. 
You hear what I'm saying? A stigma, right? And what was the stigma about? People don't get upset in general terms when God touches them and heals them and they're blind and he gives them sight. Or if they're crippled and he gives them legs they can dance on. Those people, they ain't going to get mad about that. The people that got touched by God, they're not going to get mad at it, right? And today, you know, you've got some Pharisee-minded people, but you don't have people today that are as bad as the Pharisees were. Just about anybody you know that knows that someone is crippled or dying or going through what's going through, if the Holy Ghost touches them and raises them up, like Peter said to that man outside of that uh, synagogue that day, he said, rise up, rise up, make your bed. In the name of Jesus, rise up and make your bed. I mean, listen, listen, let's go that route. I, I, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'm going to say it. I've been talking to the Lord because he's been talking to me. We'll, we'll go back and forth on this. He's been talking to me about the revival, and he's been talking to many of you too. I know it, all right, about the revival. I, I can remember times in my life. Now, if the Holy Ghost comes on you and it affects you, it affects you. You can't stop that. But let's don't make a scene just to make a scene. Let's don't draw attention to ourselves just to draw attention to ourselves. I'd rather lean in quietly. I told the Lord I'd rather lean in quietly and whisper to someone, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And then a whole lot of people can't point a finger at you and me and say we did really anything other than obey God. And it's going to be crucial in this revival that we protect the gifts of the Spirit of God. Amen? And that we don't try to take credit for them. And we don't try to act like we're special because, and I'm telling you, it's rampant in the church today. And there are people that will, you know, title themselves and advertise and all that. Forget that business. Let's let God advertise for himself. Amen? And let's don't, let's don't, you know, it's going to be hard enough when people start calling you and say, pray for me, I, I heard you prayed for so-and-so and they were healed. Do you understand the complications that can come to your life? Are you ready for it? I'll still take it for the glory of God. I'll take that. I'll do that. Amen? You've got to think about these things. All right? And you've got to keep your perspective right. So what, am I, what have I got here? I've got 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it is all dedicated to the utterance gifts. Prophecy and tongues and interpretation. And you don't find any other chapter of the Bible totally and completely dedicated to the other two, uh, I call them trio groups. The power gifts. Amen? All right? I don't see it. But yet, here it goes. Here it goes. Watch this. Go way down to, way down to 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Mm. As in all the churches of the saints. Now, all right, think of that. What is just said? God is not the author of confusion is what it says in many translations. But yet there's more confusion in the body of Christ about the utterance gifts than any of them out there. People don't argue with miracles like, you know, people being raised up from a sickbed or whatever. They don't argue with that. 
but they look at tongues, interpretation, and praying in tongues, and even prophecy. Someone standing up that gives an edifying word in the church. They think it's weird, don't they? Am I right or wrong? How many of you ever been? I've been in a Pentecostal church, and I've seen these things unfold. I've seen the gifts of the Spirit in operation. Well, we got a lot to learn, don't we? Are you learning anything in these services, though? See, we, we, I just want to encourage you. You know, there have been times in my life, and God, I'll say it again, please forgive me as your servant. I, you can ask my wife, I've told her. I could, I could live the rest of my life. God, forgive me. I said it. I could live the rest of my life and never pastor another Pentecostal church. You say, ooh, Brother Dennis. Yeah, ooh, Brother Dennis. And why did I say it? Because there's something about people and flesh trying to mix with the Holy Ghost and it does a great deal of damage. I've had people look me in the eye and tell me God put them in the position they're in and only God can remove me. Well, I said, well, I'm the pastor of this church. I'm the appointed leader and God's told me to remove you. And guess what? They was removed. And, and it had to happen. You understand? But they don't go quietly. They don't go quietly. Because flesh does not mix with the Holy Ghost. It doesn't mix. It's deadly. It's a deadly mix. And you know, I would tell you that most of the problems I've seen in Pentecostal churches over the years is just based in being uninformed about the gifts. They don't really know most of them don't even really know what they're doing. They don't know how they're endangering themselves. And I've told you plenty of times. Do me a favor tonight, and we're going to wrap up with this. Go to the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And, and once again, I'm not the Bible scholar that titled this about prophecy in tongues. It's just right there in big, bold italics. Prophecy in tongues. Verse 1, pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. How many of you want to talk to God? You really want to talk to God? You know, you know what? 99% of the people that will tell you, well, I don't know how to speak to God. The idea of speaking to God intimidates most people. But it doesn't have to. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. That is tongues. If I pray in English, I know what I'm saying to God. If I pray in the Spirit, don't always know. Once in a while, God just drops it on me. That's okay. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. That's what prophecy is. Where is there a word in there about the future? Nowhere. Right? Word of wisdom, that'll give me the future. The one who speaks in tongue builds himself, builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. If I, if I just stand here and pray in tongues for another 30 minutes, how good is that going to do you? If that's all I do, isn't that going to be a little confusing? So you can trust I'm not going to do it. Amen? All right. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. 
Verse 6, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? If every one of us up here was on a different sheet of music, trust me, with the gifts and talents I don't have, it's tough enough when I've got the sheet of music in front of me, right? For us to do the same thing together up here, right? And if the bugle gives a distinct and an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. How many of you know it's good to pray in tongues and to pray in English or a known language? It's, that's, the Bible says doing both is important, right? Uh, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit. I mean, in my private prayer life, I, I do that. But I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise... If you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Matter of fact, I think it's a bad idea to say amen to somebody's saying whatever they want to say. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers just like all the gifts of the spirit of god um it, if if i had no leg here and i got hit by a greyhound bus in alaska that would be a neat trick if i get hit and i lose my leg and i'm standing here on a prosthesis and all of a sudden the prosthesis falls off and a leg appears you're going to be pretty impressed aren't you but is it going to make you believe in god more than you already believe in god I mean, if you're a believer, you're a believer, right? But someone who's never been to church in their life sitting there, an unbeliever, it's going to blow their mind. And there are a lot of unbelievers out there who need their mind blown. Amen? While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore, verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? And how many times have we heard mainline denominational churches say that Pentecostals are out of their minds? It's a pretty common accusation. But if all prophesy, 
and an unbeliever or outside enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That day in church, a whole bunch of people got saved when that message in tongues came out and the interpretation happened. Why? Because even unbelievers could not deny that something special had just happened. All right. Orderly worship. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue. It, it just goes on and on and on about prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. There is no other chapter like this having to do with the other six gifts. There isn't one. Why do you think God impressed Paul to spend so much time on this subject? Because it's important. And before we disregard it and decide that I don't need it, I don't want it, it's not for me. Is it okay for that? You know what? I'll tell you right now. You, if you've ever been condemned, convicted, or looked down somebody's nose at you because you don't, that person was wrong. And they will face a God who did not ever want them to do that. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there only be only two or at the most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. That's an important one. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent for you can all prophesy one by one. So that all may learn and all may are all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, if you think you shouldn't open your mouth, you don't have to. Your mouth's subject to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent. And uh, that was a cultural thing. All right. That it really, I'm serious. I'm serious. Are, are you not hearing me? That's a cultural issue for the early church. So, well, I see. Did you just whisper in your wife's ear, I told you so? I'm just kidding. <laughs> a little humor there. All right, da, 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 da. let's go down to verse 35. If there is anything, uh, well, verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual... He should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. That's what that entire chapter is about. Even the things of the Spirit being done decently and in order. One of the things that, that just broke my heart, uh, Dwayne Smith, Dwayne Smith and I, um, we did something together separately. <laughs> I know that sounds funny. I said, I'm going to go to the revival down in Pensacola, Florida. He said, all right, you do that. I'll go to the revival in Toronto. How many of you know and remember about 30 years ago, there was a great revival in Panama City uh, at the church there. In, in, would, did you ever get to visit there? I'm telling you, it was it was. It was something to behold. So the revival had broke out in uh, Panama City and in Toronto in a church right near the airport. Dwayne went to that revival in Toronto. I went to the revival in Panama. And I'm telling you, I got there 
at the tail end of the revival. The very end. And you know why I knew it was the end and it was the end. There were people standing up in the church service, walking and clucking like chickens and blaming it on the Holy Ghost. You listen to me carefully and mark my words. When the Holy Ghost begins to move in our lives and in our church services and begins to do signs and wonders for the unbelievers, amen, I don't need God to do anything more for me tonight to make me believe in him more than I do now. It's not possible for me to believe in him more than I do right this minute. I, know, I don't suffer doubts, fears, or unbelief about the presence of God in my life. I don't suffer any of that, thank God. I just don't. I don't, right? And there's nothing that he could do, a sign or anything, to make me believe in him more. But I'm telling you, God is screaming. I mean, it's like the Holy Ghost is shaking me to get my attention and help me to understand. The revival is about lost souls. It's about evangelism, all right? And these signs and wonders are going to be for the unbelievers, all right? And we're going to need to be there to help disciple them and to usher them in and to teach them the word of God and to let them know they're loved like family. Amen? And um, look, look, look. The thing about it is, once again, I will tell you, do you understand that the Holy Spirit can speak to anybody he wants to speak to no matter what name is on the door? Whether you're Baptist or what, whatever, whether you're Baptist or, you know, it's just got to be Christian. Got to be Christian, right? And, and so don't think that, you know, you're going to be outside of any influence from God or the Holy Spirit if you don't pray in tongues or whatever. What I would like for you in your spirit to do, though, is get comfortable with the idea that God does those things. All right? And uh, once again, I, I, you know what we're going to move into next week? We're going to move into teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do not let the devil mess with you. Don't let him lie to you. Don't let him tell you that you're a second-class citizen if you don't pray in tongues. That's a lie, and I'll call him a liar every chance I get over that. All right? If you're comfortable with wanting the Holy Ghost to fill you to overflowing to pray in tongues, then just get ready. Amen? Um, I, I have seen, uh, I was talking to someone in the church the other day. I said that, they came in the back door of the church, and the Holy Ghost was moving, hit in the front, moved to the back, and they got filled with the Holy Ghost. Boom, got filled with the Holy Ghost near the back door of the church. And we'll be hearing testimonies like that. But my point that I'm trying to make is I've seen people literally knocked down. Boom, and their hands go up in the air, and they start praying in tongues. And it's like a quiet, still voice said to me, some people get it like that, and they really, it really ruins the many people who don't get it that way. I mean, it makes it tougher for people who don't get it. Well, everybody expects to be knocked down by God, and they're shook, and tongues come out of them, you know? No. Please forgive me if I sound sacrilegious, but I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I just left the meeting knowing that God wanted to fill me with the Holy Ghost. So, Ruthie, what did I do? Well, you're leaving one part out. Uh, I was thinking about it, and I'm pondering it, and um, I was hungry. So I went to the kitchen. I ate. You forgot that part, didn't you? I ate, and then I went to my room, knelt by my bed, got filled with the Holy Ghost, went to bed, and went to sleep. 
Do you understand that everything, really, that we ever get from God in life, uh, really, that we go after, we, it, we get it by faith. So while you're getting ready to be filled with the Holy Ghost, all right, let me teach you on the subject first, all right? I mean, have I sounded like I've known a little bit about what I'm talking about? I, I do know that I know a little bit about it. No one knows everything except the Holy Ghost about it. Amen? But has this series been helpful at all to you? Okay. So that we know a few things. We, we'll know some of the things we're looking at when they happen. And when we don't, I'll tell you. Ask me. I'll tell you. You know. And once in a while, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. Because I'm not going to lie to you about it. All right. And I'll say, let's pray about it together. Let's go, let's go through the word together. Let's find out. All right. So, isn't, it, isn't this good? This is good stuff. Amen. And so, look, if you, if you got filled with the Holy Ghost, if you were raised in a Pentecostal church, and you got filled with the Holy Ghost when you were a kid, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost all your life, you've been praying in tongues all your life, good for you. Good for you. That's great. And I'm going to tell you, I'm brokenhearted for the people. Um, I, I know a pastor that, that prayed and prayed earnestly, um, but never, never happened to him. Uh, he, he didn't pray in tongues, never prayed in tongues. But he still says, I believe in it. And I believe the Word of God says it's for everybody. I haven't got it yet, but I'm not quitting, not giving up. And he's been seeking it for years. Never let the devil condemn you for, for a clock that ticks. I mean, don't let the devil attack you over time. You understand what I'm saying? Well, I've been praying for this for years. You know what I love about that man's spirit? He's persistent. He's never going to give up, right? And... Um, Remember, once again, you don't have to do this. But I can tell you that it helps. I, I know it helps. It helped this country, boy, in my life. Um, just one, one last thing I'm going to tell you. You think Brother Dennis, my wife could tell you, my children don't know everything about me, but I will tell you this. I went to apply for a job, a prestigious job in law enforcement with a police department that I really wanted to work for. God didn't want me to work for him, but I wanted to work for him. But I didn't know yet that God didn't want me to work for him, right? It's my childhood. It's my teenage years that um, I got in trouble with. Um, I was sitting with a polygraph guy. All hooked up. That's freaky enough. If you ever had a polygraph. Asked me a bunch of questions. I didn't lie. I told him everything. And then we got to the end. And he said to me. Um, Is there anything. That you can think of in your life. That I haven't asked you. That you need to tell me. And I started talking. And he sat there and listened to me. After a while he held up both hands. And said stop talking. Stop talking. Is there anything else that you have to say that might have a bearing on whether you work for this department? Or not? I said, no. He said, good. Good. Just stop talking. Right? But here's what he asked me. He said, have you ever drove drunk? I didn't know he was going to ask me if I'd ever drove drunk. I said, yeah. He said, how many times? I don't know. 
can I lie to the man? I said, I don't know. He said, how long ago? I said, I said, it was a long time ago. He said, how long ago? I said, I don't know. He said, how old were you? I said, well, maybe 15. Maybe 15, right? Do you understand when I tell you that? That ain't easy for me to tell you that. I even talk about it with my kids a lot, right? Um, didn't need to. That's what I'll say. Didn't need to. Um, but I will tell you that when I got saved, there were things in my life. You hearing me? And um, wouldn't be set free from any of them if it weren't for the Holy Spirit of God. Because, you know, on my own, I couldn't stop nothing. You understand? Sometimes you need to admit that to yourself. That you can't stop anything by yourself. That you need God. You need the Holy Spirit to help you. Amen? It's going to be okay. Some of you down deep inside, it, it's a funny thing to set out there and hear the words of a pastor. And, and I look out there and sometimes I can see it on faces of people. And many times I can't. But I know things are churning on the inside. <laughs> in people's lives just relax and let God have the situation let him have the circumstance okay it's going to be all right once again I want to pray against the pandemic because my heart is broken that you know right now like I said it does anybody know better is there a church out there that knows better than us we need to protect one another we need to amen you watch out for one another so what we've got to do during this period of time is we have to take very seriously. Um, there are times when the altar call comes and you can't answer till you get home to your own prayer closet. Safest place in the world to pray. If there's anything in your life that you know has got to go, you just got to talk to God about it. Amen? You've got to talk to God about it. You've got to give it to him and let the Holy Ghost lift this from your life. All right? what you got to do stand with me father in jesus name i want to thank you for this time you gave us to be together tonight it's precious lord it's powerful thank you father in jesus name for what you're doing in our lives lord i want to thank you for the utterance gifts the ones that get us pentecostals criticized the most father you said in your word you'd use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise i don't think there's anything in the bible like tongues that confounds the wise the way it does. Father, I thank you for tongues and interpretation. I thank you for the gift of prophecy, the simple gift of prophecy. I thank you that it edifies us. I thank you that the word of God, the Old and New Testament, is smack dab slap full of prophecy, ed words of edification. It was your Holy Ghost that came over the choir masters of Psalms. It was the Holy Ghost that came over David. And, and the, all of those beautiful, edifying psalms, they were written because of the gift of prophecy, the simple gift of prophecy that's edifying and uplifting. And the book of Psalms is loaded with it. Father, I want to thank you for each and every person in this room that can hear my voice tonight, and they are hearing me talk about the times of my life that I have faced battles and had to trust that you and you alone could deliver me and set me free 
Father, in Jesus' name, I remind everyone in this room that the power of the Holy Spirit, that's one of the things he does. He's a chain breaker. Sets people free in Jesus' mighty name. Fills to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Gives us a prayer language. Uh, gives us tongues and interpretation. The Holy Spirit and his gifts, they're for us. They're not against us. Father, if they were not for today, you wouldn't have spent so much time in the New Testament teaching us about it and then showing us back in the Old Testament how all the gifts showed up back there except tongues. Didn't, didn't have tongues in the Old Testament. I've never been able to find that. But I've found examples of all of the other gifts in the Old Testament. I want to thank you for that, Father. Mm, special gifts of faith, Father. Right? That's what it takes when for Daniel to lie down in the lion's den and Lay his head on the line and go to sleep. Mm. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to walk off in that fiery furnace and the only thing burnt were their bonds because the chain breaker allowed the bonds, the ropes to be uh, burnt off and then their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. They just took a bath in fire and then walked out without even the smell of smoke on their, on their persons. They received that special blessing uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for killing the virus so that we can come together around the altars of this church, Lord. That's so important to me as a pastor. Um, many hours of my life have been spent around the altars of the church. And I, I, Father, I've lost count of how many times I walked off into the church I was pastoring, knelt at the altar to pray, and then came to underneath the piano. I was under the piano. Lord, forgive us for the times we failed to get under the piano, as it were, so to speak. To go to the altar and to stay there until we have an answer to our prayers. Thank you, Father, for forgiveness of sins. Cleansing, Father, white as snow by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads, guides, and directs and sets us free. Thank you that your joy is our strength. Watch over us as we depart from this place tonight. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you and fellowship together before you leave here tonight.